Hey, what's up everyone? John Lee here, also known as The Property Shark. And welcome back to another episode of the On The Rise podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Cozy Stobbs, also known as The Property Owl on Instagram. And Cozy Stobbs is the CEO of Specific Mechanical Systems and the director of Property Owl Investment Solutions. As a teenager, he worked at Burger King to support himself for college. He graduated at the age of 22, where he also bought his first property. He dreamt of helping and inspiring other troubled youth to find another way, and now is the owner of over 10 properties by the age of 30, now he owns a market cap of over $50 million in businesses and real estate and has over a hundred employees. So I'm really excited for this episode and let's get right into it. All right. Hey Cozy, how's it going? Good, my man. How are you doing, brother? Doing well, doing well. How are you uh, coping with being quarantined and staying at home? How's how's that for a change for you? Uh, it, it's okay. I'm still just as busy, but, uh, yeah, still just as busy, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting time for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Kind of go on the record books. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it just, it just took everyone completely off their foot and now people are trying to figure it out and, and, uh, make things work and think on the spot. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so cozy. Thanks again for being, uh, on the podcast today for on the rise and uh for those of you that for people out there that don't know about you uh do you want to give people like a quick introduction of who you are and uh talk more about the property owl <laughs> we'll get yeah I, yeah so property owl that's my that's my my instagram handle a lot of people call me the owl um best best way to describe me is you know I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur from the time i was a uh 10 years old, I say I started my first business where it was like running around the neighborhood collecting bottles because I wanted money for candy. All right. Uh, and then after that, I um, uh, was about 15, 16 years old when I started really having aspirations of owning property, real estate. And uh, at about 16, I said I wanted to own 10 properties by the time I was 30. And I was working at Burger King at the time. And, and my parents didn't have a ton of money either. So a lot of people looked at me and they kind of laughed and you're a little bit on the crazy side. Um, but I, I ended up buying well more than 10 by the time I was 30. I bought over 20 properties. And then after that, I went on to buy a series of businesses. And, and that's kind of where I'm at now is I own um, companies and I own uh, real estate. Primarily view uh, companies and uh, businesses as a tool for generating income. And I, I view real estate as a tool for building uh, wealth and equity in um so they kind of looked at a little bit I, I view them a little bit differently and kind of work well together um <clears throat> but my background is in, in engineering as well so after i graduated from uh university the degree my degree in engineering i worked as an engineer for quite a few years and learned some things and so i've done a lot of different stuff o- over the decades but i've been investing in real estate for gosh pretty close to 20 years now so yeah Cool. Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> and so, Cozy, I want to kind of go back a little bit to maybe we'll we'll start when you had aspirations to own properties. I think that's a good place for us to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, you know, you've had entrepreneurial tendencies when you were younger, um, collecting bottles to, to get it for candy. And when you were at Burger King, kind of where did the initial inspiration came from for you to be like, oh, I want to own properties by 30? Like, how did that happen? You know what it was? Um, my parents, they immigrated from, from Jamaica to Canada. And, and my dad always said uh, to me <clears throat> that the best investment that he ever made was buying his house. He says it's by far outperformed any of his other investments he's made. He said the little money that they put into their house has grown to make them quite quite a bit of money. And um, that sort of uh, was a, a trigger for me. And I said, well, if that worked for one, why not 
you know, do it many times. You know, what does that look like when you scale that up? And I, I also had a thirst at, at a young age. I always wanted to be successful. I wanted to, you know, um, make a lot of money. Uh, so that was part of it too, is I had that goal, that desire. So I was pretty aggressive uh, even at a young age. And um, those were kind of the two kind of main things. Is one, I had a just a natural tendency uh, inkling. And then the other, I heard that statement. I said, well, if that was your best investment, why don't we do it multiple times and see how that works? Got it. Got it. And so you were, your parents immigrated from Jamaica. Did you grow up here all your life? We're about to- yeah, I was born here. Yeah. yeah. Oh. My parents immigrated from Jamaica and then I was born, uh, I was born in Edmonton actually. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I, I grew up in Edmonton. And then when I graduated <clears throat> from university, I moved out West. Perfect. Perfect. So from 16, you had the idea of owning 30 properties. You were still working at Burger King this how, what happened after between, I guess, when you were 16 till when you just got into university? Mm-hmm. What happened? How did you pick? How did you end up with engineering? How did that go about? Mm. Yeah. Why engineering? Um, yeah, why engineering is a good question. Um, uh, so when I was 16, I remember at the time I'm having a vision of owning property and I'm budgeting myself. So try to build a down payment. So I'm saving $100 to $200 a month um, as I'm uh, as I'm working, and then more in this uh, as I'm going to school, and and more in the summer times. Um, so that's kind of between 16 to uh, you know 17, and then as I'm in school, I'm working, paying tuition, and also saving. Um, and then uh, when I graduated, that's where I, I said, okay, I've got you know. $8,000 and then I'm looking to use that as a down payment for my first uh, property. Uh, but that the, the decision to actually do engineering uh, was partially driven by, by my dad at the time. Um, Cause I, my, I, I wanted to go into business. I've always been a, a business type person and I wanted to go into business and I wanted to manage people and be in business. And my dad said, Hey, you know what? You're, you're good at math. Why don't you try uh, try engineering? Um, and a lot of the managers at his company are engineers. He said, you know, and the and the and the the general manager, the president of the company, is also an engineer. He said, so engineers end up taking on pretty big manager roles, even though they're not um, they didn't do business degrees. So it can be a good rule for you to get the engineering degree and then, you know, do what you want to do after that in terms of where you want to go directionally with your career. So um, that's how I kind of chose engineering. Um, and, you know, people ask the question is, you know, do I think I would have gotten where I got to without doing uh, engineering? And the short answer is, is I do actually. I think that um, just the skill sets that I have, I'd be, be in that arena regardless of what I was doing because most of my stuff that I did was a lot of it was self-taught right so um, yeah I think I still would have gotten there um, but engineer is good I built a lot of connections while I was while I when I graduated and I was working and um, yeah nice nice and which engineering discipline did you take and what school did you go to I did a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Alberta that's that's amazing. That I actually went to U of A too for uh, chemical oh. engineering. So <laughs> I grew up here in Surrey and then went there for school. Kind of similar to you, wanted to do business, but then mm-hmm. my parents kind of pitched me the engineering route. And also at the time, oil and gas was probably the highest paying engineering discipline. And I figured if I can get out with a four-year undergrad degree and starting salary was close to 100K, uh, then, you know, I can work, grind it out for a couple of years and then do what I want to do after. But obviously mm-hmm. things don't happen the way you expect it. So after I picked my discipline, oil kind of went this way. Um, so here I am. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, back to your point about going to school or not, like what is your take on that in terms of getting an, a university degree from knowing what you know, you know now? You know, that's a really personal um, 
question that an individual has to make is not for me to make. Like, um, now I will say this, there are some traits that people that do post-secondary have that are of benefit for business. Um, uh, for example, like just getting in the habit of, you know, your professors aren't going to push you to do what you need to do. You've kind of got to work on your own and, and manage yourself on your own um, and be ready for tests. Um, and, and there's a little bit of learning how to learn that happens in, in post-secondary. So those things are of benefit. Uh, the actual skills that you need to know from a business perspective though, I find those are lacking within the education system, uh, specifically around like, you know, entrepreneurship and the need to like, you know, really uh, push and, 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 you know, reach your, be, get out there and, and, and help to grow and build a business and stuff like that. They're not going to teach you in school. Um, so if your goal is to do that, um, there's some traits that you can learn, but it's not necessarily the end all be all, but so I don't have, like, like I said, it's a really personal decision. Like if someone says, you know, I'm going to go get a degree, um, and then my goal is to be an entrepreneur after that. I'm, I wouldn't stop them from doing that. Uh, I think that's to themselves. And again, if someone said to me, I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur, I don't want to do it. I wouldn't stop them from that either. I know a lot of millionaires. Um, and you know, one thing that's common um, between us is we're all very, very different. Um, we're all very different in how our education background tends to be very different, especially entrepreneurs, especially the one that owns businesses. Like we're all very, very different in terms of how we approach things. Some have zero education, some have tons of education. Um, uh, so there is no single answer. It's really around how consistent can you be, how disciplined can you be, and you know, building your knowledge base and then an ability to take uh, risk. And, and that's kind of the, those, those components that are more um, required and the backgrounds are totally different, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of richest person in the world, they have degrees, um, you know, they um, well, did engineering degrees actually, um, but there's a lot of engineers that make $50,000 a year as well. So there's some that make a billion dollars a year and some that make 50,000 a year. Um, they both have the same degree. So it's not the degree, it's something else, but uh, whether it helps or doesn't help, like, I mean, it's really a personal, personal decision that an individual has to make. But it, it should never stop you from drawing, taking that four year break or not taking that four year. It shouldn't stop you from, from doing what you need to do to, to acquire the skills you need to take the next, to the next level. Understood. So that's very important how you mentioned it's it's not the degree that that makes you because this people making different income could have the same degree. So mm. from your point of view, when you were uh, a f in fresh in college, what sort of opportunities were you looking to go after? Because your goal was to be a business owner to own 20 properties by 30. Um, were you joining you know, the, the frats, you know, were you joining clubs? Were you big on, on being a social person, joining school clubs? Did you take no. your extra time to invest in learning about business? Like how did you spend no. your time in university? No, I did a full engineering course, course load. And if anyone knows what a full engineering course load is, they know it's a lot of fucking courses. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just put my head down. I was trying to get the degree. Like, I'm going to back up a little bit. The fact that I got into engineering in and of itself was a miracle. Like I had the second, actually the lowest mark in my class in grade four. Like, so that's my starting point. And I slowly developed skills and learned how to learn as we went over, as the years went on. Um, so now fast forward and, and I make it into engineering, I actually made it in by half a percent. And you did an engineering degree in U of A, you'll know that one of the first days they bring you in, they show you that graph of, you know, here's your marks and here are the people that fail out and one third fail out in the first year and another third fail out in the second year. And if your mark was barely getting in, you had a very high likelihood of failing out. So I put all my effort into my schooling when I was in school. It, like every little last piece of it was into school. I would wake up, study, go to class, study, go to sleep repeat. I wasn't doing frat socializing. 
I was studying. And uh, I remember someone telling me when I was in second year that they said, you know what, Kosi, if you keep working like this, you're going to burn yourself out um, in a year. And, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And I haven't burned myself out yet. Um, and I'm still going. Uh, still the same level of energy um, as I had then and still the same level of work ethic. So I went from barely making it in to having, uh, you know, Dean's honor roll grades by the time I was graduating. Um, and it was a testament to how hard I worked because other people were partying, other people were going out and having good social lives. Uh, but I wasn't doing that. I put my head down for those four years and I studied my ass off. And then on the weekend, uh, then on the weekends and the summer times I was working. So uh, I was working and studying. I was at, um, but, but having said that, people recognize people that work hard. So a lot of later years, it came to my advantage because, you know, anybody that knows me knows the level of work that I put in. So if I say we're going to do something, they know, okay, if, if it's cool, he's doing it, he's going to make sure he's going to get it done and he's going to do it to the best of his ability and the level of work is not, you don't have to worry about if I'm going to work hard. Got it. And so the only time you really had was to study and work on the weekends. Mm -hmm. uh, was that more of a personal decision to, to work? Yeah. Cause people are talking about, you know, work and school. Is that, mm -hmm. or would you recommend just focusing on school for that matter? Yeah. It, it depends, right? I paid for my own schooling. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, my parents were, didn't have money uh, like that to be able to afford to pay for my school. So I was paying for my own schooling. So the only way that I was going to go to school uh, was to pay for it and work to pay for it. So that was the reason why I was working was I, I needed to make money to pay for my schooling. And I also needed to make money to pay for, uh, I was also trying to save money to invest after schooling. This was done. So you know, I just made that it was a necessity. If I didn't, if I had additional funding, I could just focus on schooling, then I would have done that. But I, it was a, I needed the money to pay for my tuition. And on that note too, in terms of a student saving, working to save up money for tuition, or some people take out a loan, was there a reason why you chose the latter versus getting a student mm -hmm. loan and then potentially yeah, paying so it back? Gotta, you got to remember my goal was still in real estate. So um, uh, what I did know about, I didn't want to do anything in university. that was going to hurt me from my purchasing power to buy real estate. So I wasn't taking out a loan for me. That's smart. Um, wow. So different people make different decisions, but for me, I was never going to take out a loan because I didn't want it to impact my ability to purchase real estate when I graduated. So as soon as I graduated, I was able to buy property. Got it. Got it. And before we kind of fast track to, to after school, um, your after university years, uh, you did mention that you uh, were a kid with dyslexia. So how you had to, I don't know too much about it, but maybe I'll let you talk about it. But in terms of you had, you said you were kind of second and last in fourth grade and you had to figure out a way to learn differently. Mm-hmm. So how did you, most of it, most people would probably see that as a burden or mm -hmm. something that is just like, I, I, I can't overcome it. How, what was your mindset in saying, okay, how do I adjust to it so I can use this and leverage this and overgrow? Yeah. So at the time I didn't know I had dyslexia, I just knew I had, I struggled with reading and they thought I had a learning disability, uh, like challenged, and they put me in like the classes where you, um, where kids go for to get extra help. Um, so at the time, I didn't know what I had. I just was uncomfortable, like reading out loud, especially when the teacher went around and forced you to read a couple sentences. I was a kid where when I read, everyone else had a good laugh. So it was very uncomfortable feeling because I read really slowly, and it was really hard for me to read. So, but I recognized I read slower than everybody else, which just meant I had to work harder than everybody else. Um, so the advantage that I had from having dyslexia was um, it gave me um, uh, an ability to find out that I had really good speaking skills um, because I worked a lot harder on speeches. So the example that I give is um, when we were given a speech to, to do, I would literally 
because of my fear of how poorly I read in front of people, I made it a mission to understand the speech well enough that I didn't need notes. So while most kids would spend an average of say a couple hours doing a speech, I would spend 40 to 50 hours to do the exact same speech. So what happens when you spend 50 hours to do like a five, 10 minute speech is it ends up pretty, pretty damn good by the end of it. And I could see the progression of, of how that speech evolved to the point where when I was actually delivering the speech in class, this is, you know, grade four, grade five, um, I did such a good job delivering it, right? I could not focus on the words because the words were second nature to me. I could, I had mannerisms and I was just more um, energy into my speeches. And I would get comments back like, wow, Coach, you're such an incredible public speaker. And all my teachers would be like, wow, you're such an incredible public speaker. You should really develop, you know, focus on this. And, and it's a really good skill that you have. Uh, but the reason why I was such a good public speaker was I put an insane amount of hours into um, that speech. So when you put that much more work into something, you inevitably be a lot better than your peers that are putting a limited amount of work into that same thing. And, and I think what that taught me was the link um, is the link between work and outcome. And I learned that link really early. I learned that link, you know, your grade four, grade five, learning a link between hard work at a, at a thing and an outcome. And that's why even when I was in engineering and I was at the bottom of the class, I'm like, you know what, I'm at the bottom of the class. That's okay. I know I can outwork all these other people. Then if I outwork them, you know, I'll do better than them. Right. Cause they're not going to be as, uh, anal as I'm going to be when it comes to like making sure I'm up studying every day these they're going to go out and have dinners they're going to go out and party they're going to do a bunch of things while I'm studying so even if they're naturally smarter than them, I'm going to outwork them and my outworking them and working way harder than them will allow me to achieve results that they're not going to achieve so th that's what I knew is I've always known that like there's literally very few people on the planet I haven't met any yet that can outwork me so if we're going up, you and I as an example, if we have the same task to accomplish, and no disrespect to you, but I'm going to beat you. And the reason why I'm going to beat you is because you're going to have other things to do in your life that's going to come up, and I'm going to focus on that thing. And I'm going to put so much more work into it that it's going to be really easy for me um, to achieve whatever I need to achieve. Nobody's outworking me. This does not exist. That's powerful, the, the ability to be able to do that. And so on that note too, a lot of people, they try to juggle too many things, like what you're saying. Like they, mm -hmm. they, they want to, they work their nine to five. They maybe be doing e-commerce. They're also investing in the stock market right now. And all the while they have a girlfriend and kids and wife. And like, how do you just stay focused? Because to double down on just one thing, versus spreading yourself too thin. I feel like mm -hmm. most people have an issue of just jumping at every opportunity that they, they get because they all seem to be good opportunities. But mm -hmm. when you put 100% and you divide it into 10 things, you only get 10% of the work and you get 10% mm -hmm. of the outcome in 10 things versus you putting 100% yeah. in one thing and you're getting 100% of the outcome. So how do you... Yeah, so I think when you're starting, you need to... Um, you can, there's like a, there's a, there's a couple phases, right? There's a phase where you dabble into a bunch of stuff, where you're really, really just starting out and you, and then, then there's a phase where you got to lock it in. You got to figure out what you're going to lock into and you got to lock it in. And there's a reason why you have to lock it in is, um, you've got to figure out where you're going to lock it in. There's a, it's a 10,000 hour rule and it, it works. Um, and it's true is it takes you 10,000 to be an expert in, in an area, 10,000 hours. And if you break it down, that's a lot of hours a day. If you're putting, you know, 20 hours a week into something, if you're also working full time. Um, so starting there and getting really, really good at something is what allows you to have the money that follows with it. If you just sort of dabble in a thing, you're never going to get good enough that you're going to command consistently be able to command the higher dollars for that thing right so if you're trading forex and you're also doing real estate and you're also doing this and you're also doing all these things you're never gonna get to a point where you're really good at any of it so 
because you're not really good at any of it, you can't get those big checks. It just, don't, it just doesn't work that way. Big checks come with big knowledge. And uh, you need to be able to get the big knowledge in order to be able to do that. So a lot of people, you got you to dial it in. Like all these, there's so many things, ways to make money um, in terms of making money, like generate income, but you really have to dial it in. So you have to look at them and evaluate them and say, okay, does this help me get to my goal? Right. It depends on what your goals are and different, different tools um, are looked at differently and do different things. And some of it is getting yourself. That's why I said in a little bit in the beginning, you got to kind of dabble. You got to dabble enough to understand what that thing can get you and whether it works within what you're trying to accomplish. I'll give you a really quick example of what I mean. Right. If you're, if your goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, generate a hundred thousand dollars a year, if that's your goal and you want to do it owning buy and hold real estate, that's a very difficult thing to do, you know, because your cash flow on a piece of value hold real estate is relatively low is relatively low, especially when you take into account, you know, they got to replace the roof you got to replace the hot water tank, got to replace all these things. You may be getting a hundred bucks a month, right? So you multiply that out to make, you know, $10,000 a month. Um, it's a lot of units that you got to buy and that takes it's a long time. So maybe you look at that and if that's your fundamental goal, maybe real estate's not the right thing for you. Cash flow in real estate is not the right thing for you to be able to replace income consistently. Maybe it's a different tool. So you got to look at what your goals are and it's a different tool. For some people that might not be their goal. Some people may have a really good job, but they're happy with their job and that's awesome. You know, they've got a solid job and makes them, you know, 80 grand a year and they're happy and they're able to budget themselves and they're saving at the end of the year. They've got $10,000 and they can invest that and they're happy. And over a long period of time, they can build up those assets and have enough to invest in real estate and invest in a bunch of different things. Right. So it really comes down to where your what your goals are and then what you're trying to achieve. And on the real estate end, what I like the most about it was, and what I still like the most about it is um, the way the banks treat it. Um, you know, a, a bank views a piece of real estate as when it come compare them to other assets and businesses. If you compare them to stock or businesses, a single family home or an apartment building, a bank views that relatively favorably and will give you a loan. Um, uh, let's say you put 25% down, they'll give you 75% of the money to buy that property. Right. So if that property goes up by a dollar, you know, you're making four times that in terms of your rate of return because you only put 25% down if the property is taking care of itself. Right. So that's part of why I really liked um, why I really like real estate and what real estate can do um, was that component of it more so than the cash flow. So I have businesses to generate cash flow and real estate to generate equity. Got it. Got it. So um, I want to touch a little bit about your mindset. I mean, this was back when you were grade four, but you made the, the link of hard work and output in terms of, you know, like you said, when you were presenting in class, a lot of people laughed at you, right? So how, how did you mentally overcome that and be like, oh, this is just, just, this is no big deal because at that age, it affects a lot of people. I'm assuming mm -hmm. that, you know, you get beat down and then, you know, you just think that, oh, I can't achieve anything great in life, right? Because mindset mm -hmm. is, is so important when it comes to... Mindset is important. And the quicker you get to not giving a fuck what people think, the more money you'll make. And I don't give a fuck what people think. Like, you can see it, man. We're on this podcast. I'm wearing my robe, right? And Love I, it. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change what I know. It doesn't change. And you see my hair. Like, I don't, like, I give, like, and some people won't like it. But you know what? I give zero fucks. If I could give less than zero fucks, I would because they're not me, right? And they don't have to deal, like what I do impacts my life. What you do impacts your life. Your opinion of me is not going to change anything about me. And as soon as you get to that point in life, your money goes way up because you start doing the right things instead of doing things that you think are right in order to satisfy other people. And you start doing the right things for your life. You start doing the right things you need to do. And a lot of people know what they need to do. A lot of people just aren't doing it for whatever reason. But, you know, there's a lot of people, it doesn't matter what you do in life, someone's not going to like it. 
you know, you could be donate, you could, you could donate $50,000 to a charity tomorrow and someone will not like it because why do you only give $50,000? Why don't you give $55,000? And, oh, why did, you know, why did you give to this charity and not that charity? Or why did you do Like, it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody's going to have a comment to say, and it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of them. So fuck them and do what you're going to do. And That's um, powerful. It, it takes, takes some time to get there. But once you get there, oh boy, it's beautiful. Because I'm telling you right now, there is absolutely nothing anybody can say to me that's going to impact me and stop me from being on the path that I am on because I know who I am as a person and I'm all good. So and a lot of people that, are, that, are, that have the worst thing to say about you, they've never actually met you a person. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times I say when someone says something, like, yo, if you got a problem, why don't you just call me and talk to me about it? And the funny thing is 90% of them don't have my number, so they can't call me. <laughs> right so how we don't even know me well enough to have my phone number how the fuck are we gonna have a problem so it, it, that's that's comes down to like you, you're gonna have people that have an issue with with you for whatever reason um who cares that's powerful cozy that is wow all right so let's bring me through you you've powered through four years you double down all you do is school work school work you save up some money for a down payment when you graduate uh, what what were what what was Cozy thinking about? The- I was, I've been thinking about buying real estate from before I graduated, so that, I just started. I just did it, executed the plan. So I bought my first property. I found someone that had experience in this field. So I, I uh, my goal was actually to buy ten. By the time I was thirty, I ended up buying twenty. That's where the twenty comes in. But uh, I wanted to buy ten, and I just talked to realtors. I said, "Hey, I want to buy ten properties by the time I'm thirty. Do you have any experience in this?" And I found one that had experience. And after talking to about 30, she said, you know, I, I own over 10 properties. I can show you what to do. And I just followed her. And the very first property she told me, she said, hey, I own four properties in this complex. I think you should buy one too. The numbers work really well. And I never looked at another property. I bought exactly what she told me to buy. That was my level of due diligence when I bought my first property. When I just bought a property that someone who had experience in doing it had bought. And it worked out really, really well. You know, I bought it for $135,000. This is going back into like the, the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, and then right there was a boom then before the last boom. So this one was a really one, good one. And, you know, within a few years, it was worth 200 grand. And so I turned, you know, I went from saving $200 a month to having $8,000 to a couple of years later, having $60,000 worth of equity. That was fucking awesome. Wow. That felt really good, right? That felt really good. Yeah. That's amazing. And how did you, you saved up enough down payment. Did you have an income for you to get the mortgage for that? Like when you yeah, first yeah, exactly. graduated? So I got, I graduated. I had a job as an engineer. Um, so yeah, graduated job as an engineer. I, I kept that job in engineer in different capacities for about a decade. Right. Um, worked as an engineer, um, different levels of the organization, but worked as an engineer. Yeah. Originally I worked as a big company. Um, and then I left the big company and, and took a bit of a pay cut to work for a smaller company for a guy that had built that company up from zero people to like over 150 employees. So I, I just wanted to work for them and be around them to learn business, like straight from someone who had like really good experience. And we ended up working like really close together for five years. Um, I learned so much from him. Incredibly intelligent man in terms of how he built his business and how he kept his employees motivated and learned so much. And then was able to take that. And then when I left there and buying my own com- businesses and running my own businesses and kind of learning how to do that. That's um, powerful. Wow. Wow. And so when you graduated, was it an easy decision for you to just jump into working? Because again, you wanted to be the business owner and, but you had the, the discipline to, it was, to it, was, it, was, it was easy. It was easy. Right. Cause it, I had a framework of what I wanted to do. And a plan of what I wanted to do. I and I read enough on it businesses and I understood what you needed, the things you needed in place. And I was and I'm patient, right? So, I uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm 38 now. You know I'm looking forward. I'll be doing this for another 40 years, or until I go crazy. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so. You know, like I, I, I can take 10 years to build it out because, you know, I'm going to be here a long time. So we got a lot of time to work it out. 
and it's it's being paced building out a plan that you can that works based of other people plans of other people that have come before you and just lay out what you want to do and then just be patient with it um, i think a lot of people um overestimate the impact of what's going to happen just shortly in front of them but really underestimate what they can do over a 10 20 30 year period when you start looking out over the decades and you think in those lengths a lot of the decisions you make are different um a lot of the things you situations you put yourself in are different and when you think over those terms and the amount of money you can make if you structure yourself right is different you That's just have powerful. to build out that plan. Yeah, yeah. And and where do people start with that plan? You know where you start is what you want. Because not everybody, like for me, I'm trying to put up a billion dollars. I'll let you know that right now, right? So we went from buying 10 to, you know, you look me up, you've got over $50 million worth of assets now. Um, and now it's like, okay, I want to put up a billion dollars. So first I work out the math. I, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy, right? So first I work out the math of what that math looks like. And then I just, and then I just implement the plan. So like you, you use income. It's like, it's that compound effect, right? Um, you look at, <clears throat> I think people, coronavirus is, is bad about what's happening, but as you see the way it doubles and triples, it reminds me a lot of compound interest. And, uh, and um, that's how it works. It starts off small and it gets really, really big. Now, the interest rate of Corona is very high, so you're not going to get those types of numbers. Don't think you're going to go from, uh, you know, zero to a million in four months. But it's the same sort of thing that's happening there, where as it starts to grow, it grows on itself, and then you get grows on that, and then you grow on those assets, you grow on those assets. Now you got all those assets growing. The numbers get really, really big over time when you start stretching it out ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years. So like there was never a doubt in my mind, even at 1920, that I was going to be a millionaire. It was just a matter of time. And today there's not a doubt in my mind that if I'm going to be a billionaire, it's just a matter of time. That's amazing, Cozy. That is. And back to your point of being patient, when a lot of people graduate, they want to jump into becoming an entrepreneur or start their own business. You took the route to, to work. What is your take on that? If people want to You know be, what I think the best, the quickest path to become a, an entrepreneur or someone that's doing is to work for someone who is in that space and get really close to them, right? So I got close to a business owner who, you know, built a multi-million dollar business from scratch. You took a so pay cut really, to do that. Yeah, I got really close. That was the best. Learning. I would have done it for free. He doesn't know this, but I would have done it for free to learn um there's a in thinking grow rich is a story about barnes and edison and barnes is a salesperson and he went he wanted to sell equipment for edison so he went out didn't have any money took a train went over there like one of those cargo trains because he didn't have any money to even to get over on his own <laughs> and uh you know stuck on a train got over there and asked him for a job and edison said no i'm not going to give you a job as a salesperson you know you look disheveled right but he said i'll give you a job to sweep the floors. Now this guy came over for a job as a salesperson. Most people would say, you know what, fuck it, no, I wanna be a salesperson, I'll work someone else as a salesperson and then I'll come to you. No, he took the job as a janitor, sweeping floors. And he swept floors for two years, over 700 days sweeping floors. And then one day Edison said, I've got, he had an opportunity. Over those times he got to learn how Edison think, he got to be close to talk to him, learn how he, addressed the other employees and then he got to a point where he got he said edison said hey i'm trying to sell this piece of equipment none of this is called an ediphone none of his other employees wanted to sell it and and barnes was like you know what i'll sell it for you and and wow. he sold it did a great job selling it fast forward five years he's a millionaire right he's came their number one salesperson and then went from salesperson to a business partner where Edison would design it, he would sell it. That's right? powerful. So, but nobody looks at the fact that he was sweeping floors. He wasn't sweeping floors because he wanted to be, a, he's sweeping floors to be next to the man. The closer you get, there's like, there's, there's certain skills and not everybody happen, has them. The closer you get to people that have those skills that are doing those things, fuck, you learn a lot. Get to them. So rather than what the job is, I don't 
like to be honest i don't care give a shit about what you're doing for work but if you get close to the right people with the right skills that's what you need to do instead of focusing on oh i want this job on my resume because it's blah 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 focus on who you're learning from within that job and making sure they can teach you the things that's going to take you to where you want to go to and if you got to do that job for free do it for free if you if it's the jobs if the job if they tell you they want you to get coffee for them get coffee right if they tell you you know i need you to shovel shit today shovel shit like do what you got to do to get around the people because those are the people that are going to give you the tools that you need to learn what you have to learn you're not going to get it in a fucking textbook even if i write a book even if i write a book and you read the book it's much different than being around me and seeing how i do deals and, mm. and like and being around it. So that's what I was at. When I was working as an engineer, I was around him. I got to see how he sold. I got to see how he interacted with customers. I got to see how he closed, you know, $10 million deals. Like, wow. Right. Who cares how much I made that alone. And now to take that and use those skills on my own in my different field. Now there's no wonder I'm killing it. Like that's, it's easy to see why I'm killing it. How do you find these people? What's your take on that, Cozy? You know, you got to reach out, number one, and then you have to offer something that they need. And then depending on the answer you get back, you have to be willing to take that. And most people aren't, to be honest. Um, uh, just like that, like I'm telling you right now, if, if you graduated as an engineer, right? And this is, and this is, this is, this is how I'm telling millennials right now, even my generation is the same. Uh, they're fucked up, right? You graduate as an engineer and you say, you know, I really want to work for this person. You get in touch with that person. That person says, you know what? I need you to be a janitor for me. You say, fuck off. I'm an engineer, right? Mm. This is what mm. most people are going to say. And it's, it's, it's being like, no, 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 no. My goal is to ultimately work for you, but I'll do whatever you need of me right now. And what I, what that person needs of you right now may not be what you need. And you're taking a risk and you're burning a bridge of like, okay, I'm going to say fuck it to all this other stuff and do exactly what you need to me, do to me. And I don't care about how much I'm making. I just need to be close to the person. And it, you got to offer them something of value to say, hey, this is what I'm going to bring for you. You know, this is how I'd like to support you. Come with some. So kind of, it's a little bit of, you know, like a little bit of homework. Not a lot of homework, but a little bit of homework. Figuring the person out figuring out what their needs are and say, Hey, you know what? I can really help you in this area. I'm not worried about the money right now. I'll even do it for free. What I'm what I'd like to do is to support you in this, in this area. There's very few people that are going to say no to that. Mm. And you may actually get paid, right? They may just say, you know, what? I'm going to pay you anyways, but this is what I need for you. Or you may not. It's a risk that you're taking, but it's like, how much do you want to learn? Like to get, to get close to them. So I say read a lot, a little bit, read a lot. And then, but the real value is when you get close to people like that, stay close to them and, and do what they need. Um, I'm telling you right now, like I'll give you an example, man. I got 104,000 people that follow me on Instagram and only one has introduced themselves in a way that had me receptive to saying, okay, let's do something together. Wow. And it had nothing to do with their age. It was just because they came at me in a sense of, I, this is what I noticed on your page and what you're doing and how you're marketing yourself. I think I can help you in this area. I'd like to do that for free. But as part of that, I'd like to learn as much as I can from you. I don't worry about money. So, okay, now here's someone who's looked at my business and can help me in my business, help me make money. And they're willing to, so now I've got to, now they're helping me and I'm helping them. There's only one person that's ever done that. That, that's gotten me to respond. A lot of people will say, I need help. Like, what the fuck does that mean? You need help. Mm. Mm. Tell me how to make money. That's a very common. Right? Like, fuck. <laughs> like, you, like, yeah. <laughs> and I get it. You're, you don't understand. You're trying to learn. And I can, and, and I'll do my best to teach and I'll do these things. We'll do these podcasts. Pe different people pick up different things, but that's much different than the person that comes at me with a plan that's researched me has gone through all my previous podcasts and says, Hey, fuck, I know this, 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 this. I know you did this. I know about this. And here's how I could help you achieve these goals. Wow. That's powerful. And, and 
to, again, to find that right person that you should learn from because you have to double down so much. Like, what are some metrics that you look at their, their track record? How, how do you pick the right people to, to read? Or just learn from anyone that, that's better than you. Well, how, two, two. I think you learn from anyone that's, 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 that's better than you. And a lot of that you can get for free. Like a lot of stuff you can get just learning. So some of it is different. Like, so for example, that first realtor that I worked with, she was one of the best realtors in the city and it cost me the same amount to use her as to use a different realtor. And she had all the expertise. So I learned a lot about investing by, by investing with a realtor who had investing experience. Right. Yeah. So I didn't have to, I didn't go to necessarily an investing real estate person at that time. And then my mentors have, have shifted as I've gotten along and I worked with someone because I saw that just like, wow, this is an, op- this is an opportunity to, to do this. And I need to find any way that I can to do it. And I need to show them the skills that I do have, right? So part of it is you got to build your own skills. You have to have a skill that can be of value to somebody. And then you got to say, hey, I can really help you in this area. You know, I want to work with you. I want to support you. What, you know, what do you, I want to be around you. What do you need? Um, you know, how can I be of service, right? What are, off the top of your head, important skills that every millennial or anyone should really look at learning right now That's that could be of value to I think communication skills are important. I think an ability to communicate, um, like, uh, verbally, um, like communication is important. Um, that's an important tool to kind of harness and develop. If you don't have it naturally, I think that's one that is very helpful. Um, if of a lot of the, the, even the people that are uncomfortable speaking, they, they find a way to learn that skill. So I'll give you a really example. Like, Warren Buffett talks about the, the best training that he ever got was uh, different Carnegie. He was, it was uh, um, Dale Carnegie's course on public speaking. He said that's the single course that helped him the most to, to be Warren Buffett because that's the course that taught him public speaking when he was very poor at it and allowed him to communicate his ideas. So it's one thing to have great ideas, but if nobody knows about them, like what, what happens to those ideas, they die, right? So, and a lot of times, and it, so that's what to develop. And then it's also knowing what you're good at and what you can keep learning at and then what you're not naturally good at and what you shouldn't put as much effort into and kind of, I'm kind of flowing with what, like, it's like being like water. I'm like, okay, this is the areas that I'm really good at. And for me, I know what I'm really good at, what I'm not so good at. I do what I'm good at. And then I, and then I let someone else do what I'm not so good at. So knowing yourself. Yeah, knowing yourself, right? And it's tough because sometimes you don't know yourself, but um, you can know what you're comfortable with and know what you're not comfortable with and then kind of, and then build a team around you and work with other people to support you if there's things that are missing. And there's usually always things that are missing. Yeah. I did an Instagram live this morning and I talked about like building a mastermind group. I think those are important. Yeah. So people, like-minded people that, that you can sit down and meet with once a week and talk to and have them hold yourself accountable. I think those are really important. That's, that's great. Wow. That's a great idea to have. And I want to touch on um, when you were working as an engineer, you said about a decade and then halfway through, you took a big pay cut to, to learn from someone who was building a business from scratch and you learned a lot of value from there. Uh, wanted to quickly retract and talk about your your property investments. Like, how were you able to, in a nutshell, double it or grow it from one zero to one, and then from one to twenty? Like, did you buy sell or did you take? No, no, the I cash just bought. Flow? Okay, so I equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So primarily, so the primary strategy. So if you do a refinance strategy, there's a certain amount of period property you can own over a ten year period, provided real estate's going up by five to seven percent a year. Yeah. Refinance strategy means you buy the property, goes up in value, additional equity, you refinance that, pull it out, buy additional properties. I'm saying it pretty calmly, but there's a lot of risk associated with that. You need to be really doing it the right way and looking at what you're doing and making sure you've taken account for things like um, you've got enough cash and reserves to deal with unexpected, unexpected expenditures. The refinance strategy, and then I started partnering with like family members and buying real estate, and then I started partnering with other people, and that was kind of the three the three steps. Is one doing it on my own and refinancing, and then two partnering, and then three partnering with other people, and then that's the three stages to to growing to that level in that amount of time. Got it. And were you primarily investing in 
uh, stratified units or single family homes? All the above. What about when starting out? Did you start with the the, the condo? My first property was this, was strata, was in a strata, um, and it, and it was just because that's what Donna told me to buy. My realtor told me to buy there, so I bought there. Um, and then I've also bought the homes. Uh, some of the homes I like a lot, right? You know, sometimes you get a house with a basement suite in it. You get mm. one property, two reds. Those are pretty cool. Um, but I don't think there's a better or worse. I think the market. Uh, ultimately moves together. House prices have land and they go up first and then townhouses generally follow. There's always a percentage difference between a house and a townhouse and a percentage difference between a townhouse and a condo. Mm -hmm. So I think they're all, they're all can be a value. Um, mm -hmm. and I own all three types and I own commercial buildings as well. Now I own multifamily buildings. So like I, I own a, a bit of an assortment now, but that's when you're starting out, there's, uh, there's, there's um, all, all three of those can be good asset classes to buy. They move differently. It's kind of what you're comfortable with. Right, right. Got it. So back to kind of what you're saying, find someone who's done it. Like in this case, Donna, your realtor, she has experience doing this. And mm -hmm. then she just kind of taught you the ropes and you followed along. And as long as the numbers make sense, because if, if you're looking at investment property, uh, cash flow, if, if it's, it can be positive at the end of it, um, then it's a good buy, I assume, right? Yeah, as long as you're not buying in shitty cities. And I'll say that again, like there's some cities that are shit, so don't buy in shit. And uh, aside from that, you know, over the long term, you'll be okay. Like, you know, if I told you what the average price of property was uh, 30 years ago, you'd be like, holy shit. And like, even with this like downturn, like there will be a, the prices are going directionally down right now, right? So prices are going to come down with what's happening. But if you fast forward 30 years, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think 30 years from today, prices are going to be higher or lower than they are today? Higher. Right. And you ask anybody and it, 99 out of a hundred people will say higher. And the one person that says lower probably didn't hear the question. Right. So when you're thinking in those terms, you make different decisions and richest guy on the planet that I know thinks in those terms, right. He thinks long-term Warren Buffett. So he's not as concerned about what's happening today. He says, okay, is it a deal today? And if it's a deal, I'm going to buy it because I know maybe not a year from now, five years from now, whatever. Ultimately I don't plan on selling it anyways in the next five years. So what the price is doing between now and when I plan on selling it, it was kind of irrelevant a little bit, right? You just want to make sure you buy it on a good deal and then long-term. And if you build a longer term strategy that, yeah, you don't get to get the flip money, which is cool. Like making 50 grand or 80 grand, that can be cool, but fuck the amount that they go up to over the long term, those are big fucking numbers. They're big mm -hmm. numbers, right? right? Got it. Got it. And how, how did he how go? You... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. 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 You were saying, imagine, no, I just said, imagine if you could rewind your clock and, you know, go back 10 years and, and have bought a, bought a property then. And then, you know, for me, rewind the clock, go back 20 years, rewind the clock, go back 25 years and buy, buy property then. Um, it, it, and then fast forward 20 years, you know, even through all the recessions that happened in between, you're still looking pretty, pretty sweet. And a lot of people that are asking these questions, a lot of them are millennials and are in their twenties. I'm like, well, how, how long do you plan to live till? Right. And if you're planning to live a long time, well, fuck, it's very hard to make a shitty decision. But if you buy a shit city, you have a different problem because the city can go away. Right. Like if you buy a single industry town where there's just like a single thing, if that industry goes away, you're fucked for a long time. Are there any specific cities do you, in Vancouver, Victoria that you see like the, the, the cities up north or even locally more closer to greater Vancouver? Do you do you? see these cities as, as being a good buy or some people are investing further up north in, in Kelowna or on the island? Like, how do you see kind of that playing out in terms of what? I think it's different. I think it's different for what you need. I think any city you invest in, to say it really quickly, it's hard to just, for me to get it. I, 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 I do a real estate course and I go into this and it takes me about a lot of hours, maybe 10 hours to go into the details of like why to buy something. So cool. we're not going to cover that in a podcast. Yeah. But for the purpose of a podcast, what I would say is, the biggest thing for me is the diversity of the economy and mm. making sure that the economy is very diverse and you're not in an economy that's, that's, that's your single biggest uh, risk hedge from uh, what city to buy. Mm. And that's the best way for me to summarize it. But that's a really high, high level summary on something that's, that you can go into very deep detail on to be able to answer that question definitively. Perfect. And you have a course on that. That's even better. 
I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, I felt like there was zero content for Canadians on how to invest in real estate, so I I built some, and I haven't released it yet. Actually, that's why I'm Ooh. talking about. It. Yeah, I'm releasing it. I'm releasing it in a couple of weeks, and then yeah. So then, yeah, that's exciting. Something to look forward to for people yeah. that are listening. Cool. And how did you go from working as an engineer to owning properties? How did you transition to being a business owner? How did that? I just quit. You just quit. quit. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, I just quit. Bought a business and I quit. So you just take the step. It's like it, 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 you lay out your plan and then you just execute the plan. And that's the best way I see it. You make sure that you have enough um, that you're comfortable with and that you're not putting yourself in financial risk and you're budgeting properly and all that good stuff. Um, and then and then you just execute on that. Um, I'm being pretty high level in certain re- re- capacities because it's very difficult to get into the level of detail you need to get into, not to be rude, to be, but to be able to say like, here's a point where you can actually like quit a job and not go bankrupt a year later. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you have to have enough saved up. There's a lot right. of things that have happened into that. Wait, oh, well, what to say is you build a plan and then you execute the plan. Yeah, right? that's powerful. And when did you come over to Vancouver, uh, Victoria? I'm, 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 from Edmonton. Uh, so I bounced to... back. Yeah, so 2004 I moved out to yeah. left Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. And from again, from that point on, you've just been executing your plan. You've built, you've held other businesses as well and you've gone into multifamily, commercial and you just expand your, your equity. That's, mm-hmm. that's just what you've, you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Wow. I, that's, I think that's, that's another whole another high level conversation. So I think, I think for the, for given the fact that, you know, most of our, our listeners are millennials. Like I think most people, most people have a trouble starting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's the most important piece of value that people can get is like where to th- start What's the mindset? What's kind of the thought process? How do you execute on the plan? Yeah, yeah. So to start is, I would say, just fucking do it. Like, just do it. Like, I'm t- people know what they need to do most times. And just start doing some shit. Like, like, just start, even if it's the wrong thing, like what you do, you don't know how that stuff you, you're going to learn and how it's going to help you. So just do it. Like, just take steps. Read some books on business. I'm telling you, like, Warren Buffett, by the time he was, by the time he was a teenager, had read every business book in the library at a teenager year. So like every business book, right? When he was in 20, he had, he had researched every company on the stock market. So there's a lot of shit. There's no re- wonder. So there's no reason for you to wonder like how come this guy knows as much as he knows and is because he put in so much more work than anybody else. Like there's very few people who have accomplished either one of those tasks and he did them both. So just do some shit, man. Like whatever you want to do, just do it. And if you haven't figured it out yet, read some books in the area of your interest and learn from people that have done a lot of research in that area. So a lot of times with a, well, even a book is that you get someone who's researched for something for like, say, 20 years, you get a good book and they dial that down for you. And in a, in, in a book you can consume in, you know, eight hours, let's say, right? Like, there's a lot of value in that. You're not going to get to their level of knowledge, but it'll give you some nuggets that you can take and then you add to that. And what, what are some good books that, that your top three books that, that you recommend about business? Uh, so I got a bunch of my, on my page. I have, I, if you go to my Instagram page, I list my top seven. It's like a story that I, on a post that was like four or five days ago. That cool. tells you my top, there's the top, I think there's seven books that I bought by category. Oh, I think so. That's wonderful. We'll get people to check that out as well. And another thing I want to touch on is the property owl. How did that come about? Uh, it's, just what, it's just what people, my nickname, what people call me. Um, uh, originally, it was my a business name, and then it I used it. I called it a, I made it an Instagram handle, and everyone started calling me that. And I just kind of stuck, stuck with it. Yeah. Was there a reason why uh, you you chose that the owl? Nope. <laughs> no. No. Nope. No, not initially. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really like owls to begin with, but then I, that's what everyone has called me. So I just kind of stuck in and you just kept it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And if you were to start again, Cozy, what would you, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Because no. you know yourself, you, you know yourself the best, you have yeah. a plan, you execute what, on what, it. 
yeah, we just did what we wanted to do. Like, and what we, the thing is, is like, if I did something differently, who knows where I'd be today, right? I might not have achieved what I achieved. So even that decision, if it wasn't a good decision, maybe I learned something from it. So if I hadn't learned that thing, like who knows where I'd be. So I really am not into that game of like, I would do this different, that different, fuck that. Like I do it the same because either I won or I learned and learning is winning too. So like, I'm, I'm good. That's a great mindset to have. And, I wanted also to say financial markets have corrected drastically. Uh, do you invest in the stock market? Is that part of your portfolio or are you mostly I, in on I, equity? I'm mostly real estate, but I do look at the market. I am interested in the market. I do invest in the market, but not to the same level that I do. Um, so where we're at today, I, um, w- w- the only thing I'll say about the market is that, you know, Dow's at like 21,000 or something like that. And, and um, I, my personal opinion is with what's happening in the world in terms of the the impact and you have an entire world that's not really uh, working the 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 um, the unemployment rate globally is the highest it's ever been um, ever uh, I don't think that level of impact is reflective in the price yet mm. I think it's still way too high relative to what's happening. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. So tip of the iceberg not, kind of effect, right? We're, yeah. I think that the, the, in terms of market impacts, I don't think it's translated cool. out there. Some for some have, but I don't think it overall has translated out there. Got it. And do you have the same view on investment priority in terms of the financial market, or do you believe more in real estate because it's something that you can see it's there it doesn't, uh, you know that? what, it's like, you know what, the richest person in the world owns a lot of stocks. Mm. So I don't, I'm not, I don't play the game of one's necessarily better than the other. Um, I think both tools can be effective. You just need mm. to understand what you're doing um, mm. and, you know, treat them like a business and then make that decision. And, and some people don't know enough to be making certain decisions. And if you don't know enough to be making those decisions, don't make those decisions yet um, because you can lose a lot of money. Um, taking steps when you don't understand things and it comes um, down to knowing yourself yeah right like if you don't know how to evaluate a balance sheet or an income statement you probably shouldn't be investing in the stock market mm. that's my opinion because that's what it's based on you have to establish value of something before you buy it so if you don't answer that those two questions you probably shouldn't be investing in the stock market if you can't do that mm-hmm. um, that's, that's, that's just my personal point. opinion. That's Otherwise, you're paying Russian roulette. <laughs> that's what most people are. It's, oh, it's a good stock market. I've gone down. I should buy. <laughs> Let's just take my bets. <laughs> it's Russian roulette, right? And some people yeah. like that, like the excitement. But that's just per- my my thoughts on it, anyways, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. there's books and courses to help build your knowledge, right? And books that you could build and. You know, you can learn from, there's lots of books on Buffett. There's lots of books on Ray Dalio. Lots of guys you can read and learn from and get some education so that at least you're making a decision that's based on some backed up knowledge versus just sitting around and your buddy says, oh, this is lower now, let's buy it. You know, you know that company could go bankrupt if you mm. don't look at their, if you're not looking at their cash flows properly and they don't have the cash flows to support the projected revenues that they're having, that company could go bankrupt. So you can watch your money go to zero. So mm. it's Russian roulette, right? A lot of companies will go bankrupt. So you picking the right ones is the question. And have you looked at the ones that have the right amount of cash in it? Have you looked at the balance sheet? Have you looked at the income statement? Have you projected out the revenues? There's a lot of questions that I, you know, people need to be able to answer before they just make a decision to buy in the market. My mm. opinion. That's a really great point. Wow, cozy. And uh, in terms of what's next for you, like you want to get to a billion. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you just have another plan in place and you're executing on that. Yeah, just let this work out, just work through, right? Just keep growing, but you know, you know, uh, growing companies that 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 I have, helping them grow, you know, and then and then acquiring other ones that make sense and acquiring other real estate assets that make sense. Yeah, yeah. Just keep going, keep moving forward, and then you know, ten years from now, I'll be in a different place. Twenty years from now, I'll be in a different place. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that. And 
in terms of how you've taken off on Instagram, like, did you, was there any secrets for you to get? Congrats on the hundred K by the way. <laughs> you ask, you ask like questions. Yeah. Which are cool, but there's a bigger answer to the question. It's not like a quick answer. Yeah. It's like, yeah. how do you grow a hundred thousand Instagram account? Like I can't answer that in a minute or five yeah. minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, like I, I can do a whole thing on Instagram growth. Right, right. Um, but but I'm assuming there was to a... give nuggets. If I give you nuggets, it's like the nuggets are gonna be what everybody says of like, you know, consistency is a yeah. big thing and then understanding who your market demographic is, right? But to get into it, it's a much quicker, like it's a much longer conversation. Yeah. Of like like how you evaluate um the type of posts you do, how much money you're investing into it. Like there's a there's a bunch of things like that. Um uh but to, to, at, a, at a high level, I would say, you know, you're going to want to post things that people are interested in. And if people are interested in it, they'll like it and they'll share it. And the more often people like things and they share things, the more often people see things, the more likely they are to follow your page. So high level sales, right? If you're going to sell something, it takes to sell to 80% of people. It takes eight touches, mm. right? Uh, so even in Instagram, if someone's going to follow your page, they may just need to see it eight times before the majority of people that are going to follow it will follow it. And then even if they're not seeing it the eight times, it's what type of content are you producing that people will want to see. So you need to think about that. You need to entertain people mm -hmm. or train people. And it needs to be like, you have to build a content that people want to go to. And after you build content that people want to go to, you have to be consistent with it and appeal to a demographic. And you, there's, there's a lot that goes into growing an Instagram account. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot. So it's very, I can't, I couldn't do that service to, but at a high level, that's an answer. Yeah. Like kind of overlooking from above. That's essentially yeah. how you execute on that is, is a whole. That's amazing, man. All right. Yeah. Cozy. Really appreciate awesome. you. Like and your Thank time. You. It's been a pleasure yeah, no talking to you. Likewise, big guy. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys learn something and the and the. Uh, yeah, hopefully, people learn something today, right? Yeah. And uh, they can take take some nuggets away and help it to use in their own life to help themselves grow. So. Oh, of course, of course, and people can find you uh, on Instagram at yeah the property owl the property owl and any other. Social media that's, channels that you're big on? That's where I'm primarily at. There's other chat, I've got other, like, a, but I, 99% of my posts are on, on Instagram. And I do a live uh, Saturday mornings at about 9.30 in the morning. I do an Instagram live where I review a book and talk about how that book impacted my life. And that's a pretty, pretty cool one that people seem to enjoy. So people can tune into that. Saturday mornings, 9.30 Vancouver time. Cool. Thank you again, Cozy. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye. You too. Bye.